The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right, I'll go ahead and pray. God, uh, I thank you for the service we can hold today uh, back in, back in the, the old place where the church started. And I pray that you speak through Randall to us today and through your scripture. I pray that you uh, imprint it on our hearts and that Randall can, can help bring the intended meaning to us um, that you want to speak to us today. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Ben, for reading the scripture today. If this is the first time I'm, I'm meeting you, my name is Randall. I'm, I'm the pastor of Grace City, and uh, this is a good day. It's a really great day. Uh, this morning we were setting up, my friend Eric shared with me that uh, his son in Florida accepted Christ and is getting baptized this morning, and so I know you've been journeying with your son for a long time. Just praise God for that. Um, you know, being a part of the kingdom of God, we just celebrate all the things that God's doing in the world. And, and one of the things that we have coming up is Baptism uh, Sunday, which is going to be September 19th. And, and we do have one that is already going to be baptized on that day. And um, if you're number two or three or four, we would love to talk with you about what that looks like. Um, but the most important thing is that, that you hear the message of Christ, that you hear the message of the gospel. Um, and so one of the things that we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Acts and seeing how the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel, uh, transforms lives. And, and last week, uh, my friend, uh, Pastor Martin Cachero, came and, and shared about the different ways in which God uh, transformed people's lives. And so we have Lydia, who was more uh, someone who, 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 who was reasoning uh, about the gospel, right? She was reading through the, the Hebrew scriptures and, and reasoning uh, and, and getting to a place where she, she believed. God opened her heart. She believed. But then we see the, the slave girl who, who has a, a moment, a power encounter, you would say, with God. And so for, for some of us, maybe we've, we've uh, more about experiences. And so for her, she has this experience with, with God. And then we have uh, someone, uh, the jailer, who, who has this, this really practical moment where he sees people who are living out their faith and, and sees it, and it's real for him. It's real. There's a life change. 
And so if you've got your Bible today, we're going to be looking at uh, Acts 16, 16 through 24, because one of the things we don't want to do is we don't want to just skip over these stories, right? I'm thankful that Martin gave the broad overview, but um, the first week I talked about Lydia, and now this week we're going to talk about this young girl and her experience uh, with, with Jesus. And so the message today is the gospel for the walking wounded. The gospel for the walking wounded. In today's text, uh, we meet an extremely wounded and troubled young girl. Verse 16, it tells us that she was a slave, uh, which means that most likely she was sold by her parents at a young age into slavery. And from that point, she was treated as property, not as a person. She was stripped of her dignity, she was poor, and she was powerless. Secondly, as we read this text, we, we find out that it says that she was a girl. And so that means that she was a, a young girl. Uh, the, the word that Luke uses here uh, paints the picture that, that she was probably around 10 to 14 years old. Probably around the same age as that girl that was around the campfire when, when Peter was there and, and she's starting to ask him questions and he's denying Jesus. Young girl, probably around 10 to 14 years old find is that she was abused. Also, we read that she had a spirit of divination. Now, Pastor Martin touched a little bit on this last week, uh, but, but it says that she had the spirit of a python. If you look at the Greek word, it literally says like python. She was tormented. Lastly, in verse 17, it says that she cried out. Literally, that she would walk the streets shrieking, high-pitched screams. She was an outcast. Now, this little girl is the type of person that if we were to encounter her today would, would, on the street somewhere, we would probably label her as, as mentally ill. The one that the many would walk by and not want to make eye contact with or, or want to turn the other way if she was on the same street as you. Or me. But what we find is that there are reasons why she was the way that she was. And today, we should say that she was trapped in the dark world of sin. And she's experienced what we would have said is somebody who's been human trafficked. She's the walking wounded. She's someone on the margins of society and is being exploited for others' gain. This is a reality back then and is a reality still today, even in our city here in San Diego. And this is a theme throughout the book of Luke and Acts in which we see that somebody who, who's on the margins, who's, who's, who's exploited, meets Jesus and the gospel meets them in a powerful way, and it personally changes them. See, Luke always mentions the people that are on the margins and how Jesus was there. See, what we find is that Jesus comes near to the wounded. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 
It's this beautiful imagery of God being this physician or doctor coming in and starting to bind up some of those wounds because the reality is many of us know that wounds aren't just on the outside, but they can also be on the inside. Henry Nouwen once said in The Wounded Healer, nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. Jesus is God's wounded healer. Through his wounds, we are healed. See, how is it that the gospel is for deeply wounded people? The ones that, that don't have it all together. The ones that stick out from the crowd. See, the reasons might be uh, dismissed by the rest of the world of, of why people are on the margins. It might be covered up, but the Bible doesn't do that. See, in many ways, we're all walking wounded. And here's what we need to see in today's text, that deep wounds for her come from prodigious sin, evil, and darkness. When we see slavery or things like that in the scriptures, one of the things that people will say, well, see, the Bible is just condoning it. But we have to understand the reality of the world that they lived in. See, the, 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 the Bible is not condoning it. It's saying that's how dark the world is. That's how messed up the world is. And God doesn't run from the messed up stuff, but he meets us in the mess. Somebody ever tells you, well, the Bible condones these things. They haven't read it through and understand what it's talking about here. See, we live in a broken society today, and they lived in a broken society then. And here's the thing. As we look at this young girl, it should be very apparent that there is sin, evil, and darkness, and it should outrage us. But what about when we look at our own society? You see, we live in a society that in many ways dismisses the reality of sin, the supernatural, and even the presence of evil, the devil, demons. But we can't shake the fact that we live in an exceptionally wicked and dark world, right? And, and many of us ask, and maybe you have friends who ask, well, why is the world so evil. Why is there so much darkness? See, the Bible doesn't have, a, uh, have this problem and say, well, why is it there? Because we see that there's a reason why it's there. It doesn't avoid the reality of darkness and sin in our world and even in our lives. Ephesians 6.12, which was written by the Apostle Paul, who we'll see today, says this. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The reality of darkness is real. And many times people have tried to translate this text and say, well, well, maybe this is telling us different hierarchy in the spiritual world and all these other things, but the, the most helpful that I've found is this. 
It's not necessarily telling us about a hierarchy of a, a dark world. What it's telling us is this, that in the systems of the world, that's where you'll see the darkness played out. It just creeps in. And we see darkness. If you dig a little bit deeper, right, we talk about if you see, look behind the curtain, whatever it might be, darkness can be hiding right there. For some today, with our backgrounds, in our experience or, or culture, we might have said, you know, that I, I don't really believe in the darkness or the spiritual world or any of those types of things. And so the topic of evil spirits and fortune-telling little girls uh, may seem more like a, something that you see in October, Halloween time, than you do, uh, in, you know, in real life. Uh, and it might be hard to take seriously, but, but today, I, I would just like you to consider some of these questions. The first one is this. Could your worldview be too simplistic? Could your worldview be too simplistic? Uh, Charles Taylor did a, a study of, of our generation, and one of the things he talked about was that um, in our world, we, we love uh, reading uh, science fiction. We love looking into uh, just different movies about fantasy and all of those things. But one of the things that we've done in our, in our real world is we live in what he's called a disenchanted world um, where we don't believe that there's the spiritual realities. And he talks about how there's something in us that just kind of feels like, I think there is something more than just the physical world around us. And so he touches on that and really talks about that. But, but he's saying maybe our worldview might be too simplistic Maybe it's more than just the material that, that we see around us. Secondly, my question is, could your worldview be too culturally narrow? Too culturally narrow. As Americans, it's hard for us to believe that there could be a spiritual world. But if you travel to anywhere, in any other place in the world, they don't really have a hard time believing that there is a spiritual world. And so our bent can be, well, well, they're just not as educated or they just don't understand as much as we do. But maybe it's us that's not as educated or don't understand as much as they do. I've been to places like Haiti. I've been to places in Africa. And I've seen people who, who, who have taught me that there is more than just the physical world. And their prayer lives are so much better than ours, friends. So much better than ours. Why? Because they actually believe that it's real. Laman Sinna, who was a professor at Yale Divinity School, talked about this in his book. He says, you know, the, the thing about Jesus and the gospel is that Jesus doesn't mock our belief of the supernatural and the spiritual world. He said Europeans did, but Jesus didn't. And so for us today, could our worldview be too culturally narrow? Thirdly, do you believe in God? <laughs> do you believe in God? God is invisible and we believe in him. Why not believe in the, the possibility of an invisible world? Lastly, is there an unexplainable darkness that you simply can't defeat? Is there a darkness that you simply can't defeat? You can't really see it physically, but it just feels like there's something there that keeps holding you down. Timothy Keller says, if the Bible is true, and it is, then you will not be able to understand, let alone defeat, on your own, the darkness in your own heart, in your family, in the city, in the world. It's beyond you. 
We're in over our heads unless God is helping us. It's not going to just take psychology and sociology. Here's the thing. Psychology and sociology are helpful things to help us work through traumas and pains and and meeting with counselors and, and all of those things. Yet, it's not everything. That's what he's saying here. And so our text today is Acts 16, 16 through 24. And the question is, how is the gospel for deeply wounded people? Well, in today's text, we see three ways in which the gospel meets this little girl and how it has the power to overcome her deepest wounds. We see that the gospel is three things in this text. Number one, unafraid of her brokenness. Number two, undeniable to the darkness. And number three, unmatched in transforming power. Unafraid of her brokenness, undeniable to the darkness, unmatched in transforming power. Number, number one, the, the gospel is unafraid of her brokenness. Look at verses 16 through 17. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us. In verse 17, and this she kept doing for many days. Now again, contextually, we, we already covered this, but she's a slave girl, she's a young girl, and she's a tormented soul. And here's what I want us to to, to see today as we we look at this text. First, this is a part of the we passages. So um, I I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but but Luke is talking specifically because he's like experiencing it. He's saying, we were doing this. We were going there. And so you're going to see that. He's talking about us, right? Luke is present here. He says, we were going to the place of prayer. Now we saw that same place of prayer was the place of worship before for those who were God-fearers. And so they were on their way there um, and that's where they met Lydia before. But but what we see here is that uh, as they were going there, they meet this girl, but they keep going in the same places that this girl was because it says that they kept, she kept doing this, she kept following them, Paul and uh, Luke and Silas for many days. So as we see this, we see that, okay, they were going together, they were experiencing this, but they they didn't interact with her just once and leave. No, this was for many days that they interacted with her. They kept going where she was and she kept following them. They didn't avoid her. Now here's the point, and we've learned this all through the book of Acts. Paul, Silas, They didn't get there on their own. Remember, God closed a door for them. They were going to Asia, and now they're here in Philippi. So God brought them there. But also the same thing is true, that they didn't didn't just get here on their own, walking this path, meeting this young girl. See, God sent them on this journey, and a part of the journey was that they would be on the same path that she was, and, and God didn't just place her there by mistake, but had a purpose in her life. This girl is not a mistake by being there. 
See, for some of us in our interactions, in our daily life, we might be passing by people and think, well, it's just kind of a mistake that I just kind of interact with this person or came across this person. But what we see is that God is greater and he has a plan that's bigger than what we can see. Wes Stafford, he used to be the president of Compassion International, which is a, uh, an agency that, that helps kids that impoverished uh, all around the world and, and, and gives them the, the basic necessities and needs, but also shares the gospel with them. He says this, he says, I have become convinced that if God stands a child before you for even just a, a minute, it is a divine appointment. This is somebody who's interacted with kids all around the world, seeing the conditions that they were in. A, a, a group that didn't run from it, but went towards the hurt and the pain. And what we see, and, and I want to remind you of, is that this, this, this young girl is, is a child. She's a child. And she's being exploited See, here's the thing. With God, there's no fear of her brokenness. It's about engaging it, and he's sending his, his, his servants to go engage. And so how can we start to engage that brokenness too? It's when we see our own sinful brokenness. See, she, she had an outward brokenness that was very visible, and in many ways, it's easy to just kind of distance ourselves from the physical brokenness. But here's the reality. If we are honest, all of us have a brokenness deep within us. You see, one of the temptations for us is, again, to distance ourselves from, from this little girl, from her pain, to walk on the other side of the street. But the reality is that sin affects us all. It's affected her in a different way than it maybe it affected me or you or any of us, but it still affects us. And so can you and I relate to this little girl and see that we need Jesus just as much as she does? Or are we convinced that we should be running in the other direction? Brennan Manning once said, accepting the reality of our sinfulness means accepting our authentic self. Judas could not face his shadow. Peter could. The latter befriended the imposter within. The former raged against him. Here's the thing. In many ways, we're not so different. Yes, our pain is different, and yes, the consequences of sin are different. But the reality is that we are all broken and need God to come near to us. Just like he comes near to this little girl. Just like he sends his servants on that path. Says, I'm not running from you. Secondly, there, the, the gospel is undeniable to the darkness. Look at verse 17. She followed Paul and us crying out. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaims to you the way of salvation. Now again, Martin touched on this last week, but, but there is a distinct difference in the way that, that the girl acts in con contrast to Lydia. Now Lydia, again, was more, more quiet. She was, she was more thoughtful in, in her approach, uh, looking for an answer uh, that made sense. This little girl is, is very loud and boisterous. 
She's, she's out there. She's, she's, she's screaming this out. She's crying it. She's shrieking it out. Here's the common denominator between the two of them. They're both searching in their own way. And what this little girl is shouting, for the most part, is true. It's true. She might be be confused on on some of it, but, but it's true. See, first she says, these men are servants of the Most High God. Now part of that is, yeah, that's true. They were servants of the Most High God. They were sent there. God sent them there. Secondly, she says this, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Are, is this team proclaiming the way of salvation? Yeah. If you dig a little bit deeper, though, in some of her theology and things like that, it, it wouldn't be entirely correct because one of the things that she's saying is like, they serve the most high God, but remember, there's also other gods too. She needs some help there. There is only one most high God. She doesn't quite know that yet. Also, who proclaim to you the way of salvation, but also, if, if you look a little bit deeper, it could be that she's saying a way of salvation. There's many ways, but they're proclaiming to you a way of salvation. See, her theology wasn't entirely there yet, but she's shrieking out and crying out and saying these things, and, and she's different from the way that Lydia was searching. Now, how does she know this stuff? How does she know, how does she know all this? Well, we said before that, that she has some type of supernatural insight, right? It says that she was known for her, her fortune-telling and things like that, and people would come to her, and she would say things, and then they would happen. Um, remember, she's not only oppressed by human masters. She's also being tortured internally by spiritual masters. And, and these evil forces know the undeniable truth. Maybe she didn't know the whole truth, but those spirit, that spirit within her did. James 2.19 says this, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God good for you. I love that translation, NLT. Good for you, right? Like he says, even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Right? They, they know that there is a supernatural world. They know that there is a most high God. They know all of these things. They tremble in terror. See, this happened during the ministry of Jesus where, where demon-possessed people said true things about Jesus, right? Remember? But remember what happened? He rebuked the demons every time. Mark uh, 1, 24 through 25, 5, 7 through 8, Luke 4, 34 through 35. See, this girl was, was, was getting closer to the truth. She wasn't all the way there yet. And those, that spirit in her is, is really guiding her in, in, in some unhelpful directions because she wouldn't have fully gotten there. 
She was still in the grip of evil. But there is an undeniable truth that there is one most high God and that he is the way of salvation. Third is this, an unmatched Unmatched, the gospel is unmatched in transforming power. Look at verse 18. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Now that word annoyed can stick out to us. It can also be translated offended, pained, grieved. Okay, so that, that's the, the intention of this annoyance here. Right? He wasn't annoyed with the little girl that they were fo- she was following, them, but he was, he was pained, grieved, offended that, that, that this is all she knew. Turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Again, why, why would Paul be annoyed, grieved, pained? Because the truth for her that she knew was only partial truth. You know, that's what the, the devil does, as demons do, right? They give you a partial truth. That's what happened in the garden. Part true, but not the whole truth. But also that the truth wasn't a reality in her life. She was living in a world where she was being exploited by her slave owners to make money. And now she was being exploited by the the, the demonic to associate with Paul. Because as she's she's shouting these things out, people are going to start to hear the true gospel, be saved. And then maybe they think, well, that she's the answer. Or that they need to to, to, to go... get more answers from the people who are exploiting her. Like, oh, these are the, this is where I need to pay more money. So she, she's, she's being used to associate with Paul and his team and, and what they were doing and, and just assuming that they were just a part of another religion, just another part of the occult that they were following. Do you see how Paul was getting frustrated here? He was getting upset here. He was saying, no, that, that's not the truth. That's not the answer. You know, the, the word for um, fortune telling that, that's used here is also associated with the word uh, ventriloquist. And I think that's, that's helpful for us to understand here because what's happening here for her is that she was being used as a puppet. That's what she was being used for. She was being used as a puppet. And it was deceptive and incongruent. See, here's the thing. She's still a slave to evil. And Paul is tired of it. And he commands the evil spirit to leave in the name of Jesus Christ and it obeyed. Here's the thing. The power of Jesus is greater than any evil oppression in this world. Tied to the, 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 the history of, of why is that word python used in this, this uh, particular uh, religion that she was believing in. It, it was believed that uh, the python would, would go into uh, 
to women, and they would, and, and they would be able to see the future. And, and so one of the, the ways that this, this, uh, this spirit of the python was defeated was in, in mythology was that, that Apollos defeated uh, the python. But what we see here is that there was no defeating of this in her life. It didn't happen. Apollos didn't defeat anything in her life. She needed a greater power. And so what we see is that as Jesus is spoken over her, Jesus is the one that slays the python spirit within her. How do we know? Paul later writes in Colossians 2.15, he says this, and he's talking about the spiritual world. He says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. What's the powers and authorities? The same ones in Ephesians 6, the spiritual darkness. He made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. Do you know what overcomes the spiritual darkness? The cross of Jesus Christ the power of Jesus Christ, the the victory that Jesus Christ won on the cross. Let me ask you, have you felt used, abused, beaten down? Do you feel like you're under a dark cloud that's controlling you and taking you deeper and deeper into a darker hole? I want to encourage you today that there is a power that's greater than whatever it is you feel like it has that power that's pulling you down and you can't get out. And it's Christ. Again, Timothy Keller said this in, in a message which, about this, which I think was super helpful. And I, and I share these quotes with you because as I'm studying, I want you to get the things that I'm like learning and, and, and it's like, and I don't care about if whether or not I say it, I want you to hear these things. This is important stuff. This is important. It's about Jesus, friends. I want you guys to hear this stuff. Here's what he says. He says, if you're exploited by other people, like the slave girl, if you have other people continually exploiting you economically, personally, physically, and you say, I don't seem to know how to stop this. It's because something on the inside is exploiting you. You need Jesus Christ, the only master who, if you get him, will fulfill you and he will forgive you. Come to him. We might not think that we have masters and slaves in our world, but here's the thing. Some of us feel like we're trapped in a prison and we can't get out. A prison of darkness that keeps pulling us back in again and again and again and destroying our lives. We're walking wounded. And I just want you to know that there's a good master. There's a Lord who doesn't harm us, but heals us. When you and I come under his lordship, there's a healing that starts to happen in our lives. That couldn't have happened in any other place. And as this happens in her life, look what happens. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. See where their hope was? Their hope was in the material world. 
That's where their hope was. Their hope for gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. See, what does the transforming power of the gospel do? It changes the spiritual deadness in our lives. We, we, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses, but we come, become alive to Christ. God saves us, but also challenges the evil structures in our world. She's been ruled by evil structures, patterns, systems of oppression. The chain started to fall off for her. And you know what happened? As the chain started to fall off for her, she no longer was useful to that same world that she was in. She wasn't looked at as useful anymore. But do you know the thing about Jesus and the gospel? It's this, that Jesus doesn't look at you and break the chains off of you because you're useful to him. He doesn't use us. He loves us. He breaks those chains because he loves us. This is why we need places like Generate Hope. Generate Hope is in our city. Mary has worked there. It's a place where last week some of you went to go clean up and, and help out. Here's the thing of, uh, uh, about Generate Hope. Generate Hope is breaking the cycle of human trafficking in our city. But they understand that, yes, it's a spiritual thing. They need to be spiritually helped. They, they need to know the gospel. They need to know Jesus. But that's not it. There needs to be some new structures and new systems placed in their life to help them live a free life. To get them away from the people who were abusing them before. It's distancing from that, getting them into a healthy space that can help them. Right? They understand that structurally there needs to be a healthy spot for them to go. Heard Robert Guerrero say, if the gospel doesn't challenge power, there is something wrong with that gospel. There are power structures in our world. There are things that are, are, are repeatedly hurting more and more people. And if the gospel doesn't help or bring change or healing, what kind of gospel do we have? In many ways, we have a gospel that runs from the mess and isn't engaged in the hurt and the pain that's going on in this world to help. Now, as we've been going through this sermon, some of you might be saying, Randall, you've been talking like this the, the whole time about this gospel as if it or a person. You've personified the gospel. Right, the gospel is unafraid. The gospel is undeniable. The gospel is unmatched. And my response is yes. Yes. The gospel is a person. See, who's unafraid of this little girl's traumatizing past? Who's unafraid of that? Jesus. Whose undeniable truth causes evil spirits to shudder? Jesus. 
whose unmatched power overcomes Satan and his demons. Jesus. Henry Nouwen said Jesus was a revolutionary since he did not offer an ideology like other religions, just an idea. He offered himself. He offered himself. God incarnate walks among us, lives a sinless life, and he offers himself on our behalf. That's the gospel, friends. You're having trouble understanding the gospel today? You're wondering what, what it is to be a, be a Christian? It's looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're the one I need. I need you. Help me, free me. Some takeaways today. In what ways can the gospel heal us today? Number one, by remembering that the gospel says Christ's wounds are greater than my wounds. We're walking wounded, friends. Many, many of us have been through a lot, and, and there are things that you've been through that people don't even know or understand. They wouldn't even take time to listen. But God does. He knows. And he wants you to look upon his wounds and see, I, I've been through it, and I, and I love you, and I care about you. The thing about Christianity is we don't have a God that's a distant God in a different universe. No, he came to be with us. That's the power of, of the, the, the message. I love Luke 24, 40, where it says this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Why did he show them his hands and his feet? It's because he showed them that he's wounded too. And you know what? He's wounded in his resurrected body. He's wounded for eternity. Why? So that you can be healed and I can be healed. That's why he was wounded. I love St. Augustine. He says, in my deepest wound, I saw your glory and it dazzled me. That's just been sticking with me for the past week. In my deepest wound, I saw your glory and it dazzled me. That he could look upon Jesus and be dazzled by that. Second, the gospel says that God covers my brokenness. In the aftermath of World War I, there were many soldiers that returned and they were severely disfigured, facial injuries. And it was said that um, those who lost their eyesight, it was better for them than it was for the ones who returned because they would catch their disfigured face in the mirror they would catch that startled glance of someone looking at them and staring at them in public. And as a response, there was a talented artist, a sculptor named Anna Coleman Ladd. And she began designing individually sculpted masks that would be worn by these soldiers to disguise their facial injuries. These masks were so good that it was hard to tell from a distance that there were any injuries at all. You can look it up online. You can see pictures of this. But here's the thing. She treated them with dignity and blessed them with a tool that made them feel more comfortable when they appeared in public. 
I want you to know that today, God knows your deepest wounds and is there in Jesus to cover you. To cover you. Because you might feel like, I, I'm worthless, I have nothing to offer, I, I, I'm a nobody, I'm so messed up, I'm so, I, I'm used, whatever it might be, that, that little thing that the, the enemy wants to put in your mind about who you are. And I want you to know that there's a God who sculpted you and made you and remade you in his image. And he's doing that right now. And that he's the one who's going to cover you up and that, that you can go into public and, and show your face and not feel like you're a wounded, disfigured individual. Do you know that? Lastly, the gospel says, my identity far outweighs my usefulness. See, some of us are enslaved with how useful we can be for others. And we put our value on that every day. We have, we have lost meaning and purpose if we don't feel like we're useful. But I want you to know that at some point, all of that goes away. I, I've done enough funerals to see this happen. I've walked uh, along that road with, with friends who are on the last leg of their journey. And they, they said, my, 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 I can't think the way I used to. I can't articulate the way I used to. I can't do the things I used to do. I can't do that anymore. I want you to know that there's a God who doesn't look at us for our usefulness, but says, I look at you as my child, and I'm with you, and I love you. See, that's the gospel. So where do you turn to today with your woundedness as you're walking on this journey? My encouragement is to turn to the only one who is wounded so that you can be free. You don't have to be a slave any longer to the world, the flesh, the devil. No, you can be free. 1 John 3, 8 says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Why Jesus come? He saw how dark this world is and he says, I'm coming to make things right. And he wants to do that in your life today. And he wants to do that in my life today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you don't run from the walking wounded, but you see us in our pain. You saw this little girl. She, she, you saw what she'd been through. You saw why she acted the way she did. Many times, there's a lot more to the story than what we see on the outside. Thank you, God, that you're a God who looks to the heart and you see the heart and you see our hearts today. And I pray that your message meets us there, wherever we're at, on that journey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.